E-S-N-Y. recording on the evening of february 25th it's thursday it's almost 6 30 rolling as always with my co-host chip murphy chip what's going on man how you doing i'm doing great man how are you doing very good uh me and chip were talking offline uh we've been uh working very hard trying to get some guests on the podcast we are hoping uh you know a uh, uh, Big guests coming up in the future. Knicks fans will be very interested to hear about that. Um, and we have our own very big guest on the podcast tonight as well. Uh, former guest on the show. Um, there's been a lot of news lately, um, you know, in, in a roundabout way with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And to help us break down uh, the Ryan Saunders firing, as well as some other things that have developed very recently, uh, we have. Uh, Kyle Racky on with us tonight, uh, writer for uh, Minnesota's website, Zone Coverage. Kyle, what's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, a lot to unpack. It's been busy. Um, it turns out when you're the worst team in the league, like, I guess there's a lot of news. I, like, sometimes, um, yeah, normally it's not like that. Normally, Minnesota's always forgotten. But in the last few days, we've been in the center of the headlines. Yeah, uh, that that that's putting it mildly, but yeah, I I, I agree with <laughs> you. Um, but Minnesota is really interesting, and and uh, for a lot of reasons, as you said before, the NBA's worst record. Um, definitely the talent on the team, um, depth wise, we we could discuss, but there's there's certainly top, you know, top heavy in terms of the actual roster itself. Um, but just to get right into it, uh, we know Ryan Saunders' record is is not great, forty three and ninety three. Um, as a whole, just your initial reaction to Saunders being fired, I think, um, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think most Minnesota fans would probably agree that this was coming uh, at, at some point. Uh, but just your, your initial reaction to him being fired, and, and then we can kind of get into um, the hinge hiring after and, and, and kind of the process and how that went down. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, um, I think everybody saw the writing on the wall with, with Ryan. And, um, you know, we can talk about this when we get into the, the, like Finch's hiring, but I mean, yeah, I, I, when Ryan was hired, I think everybody kind of knew that it was something that Glenn Taylor wanted, not necessarily Gerson Rosas. And I'm not like advocating for anything that Gerson Rosas did during this process was right. Cause I do think it was just a super, super shady process. Um, but I mean, for me, it's, it's so hard because I think like, yeah, like you can, can complain about, Ryan's rotations or um, what he did on the court. And like, it's hard because I've known Ryan for five years um, and there's, there's an actual friendship there. So it's like, so it's hard for me to like, you know, at the end of the game when he's playing Jared Vander Vanderbilt when he shouldn't be. And I'm like, Oh, don't do that. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not tweeting that. Right. But like there were moments where you're like, yeah, Ryan's certainly not helping his cause here. Um, you know, and, and to play some devil's advocate, like, yeah, like, his record wasn't great. Um, but I mean, on that roster, 
you look at that team and you go, okay, you have Russell Beasley and Towns. And I think the, the three only played like maybe like four or five games together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you go, well, I mean, th- there's your excuse. Um, but then you look at the rest of the roster and like Timberwolves fans will hate me for this, but they like Timberwolves fans are so bad at this. They get in their bubble and they think all of these like fringe roster players, and you guys might not be like, might be like this too. I don't know if it's just like bad, like bad teams or fan bases. Um, but they convince themselves like, oh my gosh, like Nas Reed is so good. Like what a find. And you're like, well, yeah, but if these guys were that good, we wouldn't be this bad. Um, like the Timberwolves fans right now think Jaden McDaniels is like going to be on the all rookie team or something. And it's like, yeah, like he's fine. But if all these guys were as good as we thought they were, then like, then if you just look at our team, it'd be good and they're not good. So um, yeah, like, I mean, that's kind of a, a, you know, I'm going in a circle here, but um, yes, he was going to get fired. Um, it stinks. And it, like the Saunders legacy is that's, it's a tough time for his family because his sister still works at the organization and his wife is his, about to give birth. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's an awkward thing. And, um, you know, and whatever, but if you know, Ryan, he's going to be fine. Like he'll probably get an assistant coaching job next year and in five years, he'll probably be a coach somewhere else. So, um, I think like him being a head coach was something that was always going to happen for him, but it, it might've happened a little early just given everything and, and how it went down. I mean, listen, if you think that wolves fans are, uh, crazy about uplifting the end of the bench guy uh, you should see what Knicks fans think of Frank Milikina but um, (laughs) it's so wild it's like what like are we watching like I get it that guy's good but like we get all these guys and they play with us after they hadn't played for any other team and they're like oh man what a find by Gerson and it's like no like (laughs) the, the, the guy shouldn't even be playing well, it's like with Damian Dotson with us, like everybody thought when he went to a, a different team, he was going to show out. And now he's just kind of been forgotten. Yeah, we're not really talking about him. That's true. That is, uh, I, I forgot to check in on Damian Dotson. And, and yeah. Guys, but maybe that's the reason I haven't checked on him because I haven't heard anything about him all year, with the exception of like the first two weeks of the season. Well, he was in the starting lineup because of injuries in the first two weeks. But Kyle, you wrote about, uh, and you talked about the uh, Saunders is firing and your personal relationship with him. But you also talked about how Rose has mishandled the situation because he's talked about fixing the culture. Yeah. And obviously this does such great damage to the culture when you pull a move like this. And it's so like, I guess, underhanded, you can call it. And you have, uh, I think what we need to talk about, you have a guy on the staff who. I mean, guys like Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum are vouching for and David Vanderpool. And he was passed over, obviously. And I think you, uh, I may be wrong, but I think Rosas tried to say that they wanted someone from the outside was his reasoning for going over him. So I guess my question to you is, do you think this is going to have any lasting effects on the current roster and players the way this, uh, situation was handled probably not like carl did it it sounded like carl was pretty disappointed with how everything went which is not what you want but i mean like if you just break down the move and um like yes okay fire him that's fine but you know like 
on if you break down the timeline on Friday night, the Wolves played the Raptors at Target Center. Well, Kate, where did Chris Finch coach? Okay, the Raptors, right? And so it's like you knew that they had dinner or something on Thursday, right? Or the, you know, they they came to an agreement then, um, and you know, you have Ryan on the road in New York, I think he was, and no matter what happened in that game, like he was going to get fired. And then, you know, with Gerson, it's like, he's so, it's so easy to see through. And, you know, he said, well, you know, at, during the game, we decided that Ryan was going to get fired. And then we talked to the Raptors and Chris with all, all within an hour, you know, it's like, Kate, shut up. Like that is not realistic. And, uh, you know, and um, you hit it spot on because for the last three years or two years, Rosas, who I, I think Rosas is smart, but I think I think he might think he's really smart too, which which is sometimes a problem. And um, you know, he's he's always said, okay, we're gonna grow from within, and we're gonna do the right things and do things the right way, you know. And this whole process was not doing things the right way. And um, David Vanterpool. It would have been fine if he would have said, okay, we want to get outside the organization because we need new life. Well, okay, let's first off, who hired David Vanterpool? Okay, Gerson Rosas, um, you know, a year and a half ago. Is David Vanterpool a lifelong Wolves assistant coach? No, he's brand new, right? And when you get all these guys advocating for him throughout the league, um, you know, in last year, he was, I think he was pretty close to a coaching job or two. I think he got interviewed by the Pelicans and the um, Rockets. You know, it, like, why not make him an interim coach? For, like, even if you plan on hiring Chris Finch, who is 51 and has never had a head coaching job, right? Like, even if you think you're going to hire him, why not let Vanterpool ride out the end of the season? If he does really, really well, well, then you have a decision to make, and that's good news. If he does poorly, then you say, okay, this isn't right for us. We're going to get Chris Finch. Like, I don't think that there's four other teams that are like, no, we need Chris Finch now where there was this huge sense of urgency. Um, so, I mean, and then the, like the, the counter argument part to that is, well, yes, uh, Rosas wanted Chris Finch from the very beginning. He, he, he came in second to, to Saunders during their interview process. And even so um, like that stinks for Gerson, but I mean, he knew what he was signing up for when he came to Minnesota. And that was to deal with an owner who is super, super controlling um, in his own weird, weird way. So it was disappointing. Um, you know, I'm not mad that Chris Finch is the coach. I'm just mad that the process, um, that, that, that happened and it doesn't look good for, for Rosas from the outside looking in. Yeah. I think, um, you know, another question I was going to ask too. Well, not before I get to the question, it's funny when you're describing um, Rosas, like always feeling like maybe he's the smartest man in the room. Like that's very much a Daryl Morey trait. I was right? just going to say he's a Morey guy. It yeah. sounds like such a thing that Morey would do and be like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, this is what I do. Yeah. I mean, which is fine, um, I think. But like, I think Daryl Morey has earned that. Right. Over the years where like Gerson, again, like, I think he's a fine guy, but his first draft, he traded up for Darius Garland and Darius Garland was already taken. Like everybody <laughs> knew that, like, you know, when, when that trade was made, everybody knew that the Wolves wanted Garland, like Woj even tweeted it, I think. And they got Culver and Culver's been a bust. And you look at the D'Angelo Russell trade and like, 
yeah, he hasn't been healthy, but when he has been healthy, I'll tell you what, um, I thought D'Angelo Russell was a lot better than he is. And, um, you know, and I like if all of a sudden you have to give up a top five pick, if, if you don't land in the top three and you give up Wiggins and, and the number four pick for Russell, uh, I mean, yeah, you might be the smartest guy in the room, but like your moves don't reflect that. And so I guess um, shifting to uh, Chris Finch and what Timberwolves basketball will look like under him, um, at least based on what I read, Rosas and Finch have some ties that go back to the, the G League, the Houston team that they ran together. So at least in, in theory, their philosophies are somewhat maybe more tied together. Um, so kind of with that said, in terms of rotations, and I know this is super early, but just just in terms of maybe what you can forecast, what type of players on the roster currently do you think might get more of a look under Finch um, and what, what players might be kind of on the outside looking in based, just based on what we know about how Finch likes to play on the court. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough question to say who's on the outside looking in. I mean, I like Jarrett Culver, for example, uh, Finch said he was going to play 20 minutes on Wednesday night. Uh, he, he's come back from a sprained ankle and Culver didn't play at all. Um, you know, I, I didn't catch the post game comments on whether or not Culver just couldn't go, but I do find it odd that a player is available for 20 minutes and then doesn't play. Um, and I don't know if that's more of Finch or more that Culver just might not be very good, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, th- I think the biggest thing that we're going to see is I think we're going to see a lot more of cat be- being featured. Um, Ryan's style of play and with a healthy Russell and, and Beasley, it makes sense in theory uh, is to just run and gun and everybody's getting involved and it's uh, rebound outlet, you know, run to the corner, shoot a three or get a layup. And, and that's like a great concept, but he hasn't had these guys healthy. Um, what we've, what we've seen from the last two games is Carl getting on the elbow and basically running the entire offense through him um, in, in more of that superstar role where I think, um, I, 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 you know, I think a frustration with the, the Ryan Saunders coaching era might be some of those games when Carl had nine or 10 or 11 shots per game. And you look and you see Rubio and, um, Culver. And I think there's one game like Josh Kogi had like 17 shots and you're like, oh my goodness gracious. Like what, what are we doing here? Um, so I, I think Carl is going to be featured a lot more in the offense and it's going to run through him. Um, and that's similar to what we saw from Carl earlier in his career. And kind of staying with um, Carl Anthony Towns there, uh, were you surprised at all? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I know that he expressed displeasure in how the process was handled, but were you surprised at all that he also came out and said, um, you know, I'm kind of like paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm loyal to a fault. And this is where I want, I want to build a legacy in Minnesota. You know, this is where I want to be. Do you feel like um, that's maybe a good sign? I mean, like, it's just, there's been so much with Kat um, throughout this past year and a half or two years about his future with the T-Wolves. There's been so much that's gone on with his family. But do you feel like maybe that quote is, you know, maybe a little bit of a bright sign here that, hey, you know, this may not be the guy who forces his way out. Like, he may really want to kind of, ride these ups and downs and, and see if we can build a contender here. Yeah. I think 
Yeah, I think if you're a Timberwolves fan and you're optimistic, you say yes. Like that, of course, if you just transcribe it, you say, okay, he wants to stay here. Um, but like, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to Carl's quotes throughout the years. Um, and I, I don't mean this to dog him because like nobody's been through more hell than he has over the last year plus. Um, and, you know, like he's a great guy and I don't, but he does say weird things sometimes where I don't think he necessarily like, like before the day before the draft, we were talking to him. Um, and we asked him about, somebody asked him about like his college classes or something. And he said that his goal was to be a doctor before he was 22. And I remember everybody was like, well, yeah, that's, you know, and and everybody's like, there was this giant article about like, okay, Carl wants to be a doctor. Like you guys might be able to like Google and look up like Carl Anthony Towns. And you're like, why would, but that's not even going to happen. Why would he say that? And he just, I think he says things sometimes and they get away from him. And I'm not saying that he didn't authentically mean what he said, but, um, I, you know, if the wolves don't, then they're not going to make the playoffs this year. If the wolves don't make the playoffs next year, I think it's going to be a different tune. Um, you know, cause we've seen that with stars before and, you know, that quote will be thrown back in Carl's face, but, um, you know, in a, in a player's league right now, they have the leverage. So. Yeah, it could all, sh- but he's also barely played with D'Angelo Russell and that's the guy he wanted to play with. So who knows? And, uh, I think, well, when we played the Knicks, uh, when we played the Knicks, when we played the T-Wolves last, I think, uh, Breen said they've only played like five games together yeah. since they, since the trade, which is insane, but yeah, the, I, I mean, the interesting thing will be because I think I think uh, Russell has one less year on his contract than Towns does. I think Russell is expired um, after the twenty twenty three season, and Towns is twenty twenty four. Um, so what'll be interesting is if all of a sudden Russell's you know extension talks don't go well or whatever, mm-hmm. um, what that means because. Um, you know, you might look from having Russell and Towns, you know, and then a day later, not having either of them. Now we could talk about D'Angelo Russell, but to be completely honest with you, I'd much rather talk about Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Right now. So let's talk about Anthony Edwards and you cover the team. So I, let's just ask you right away. What's your first impression, Anthony Edwards? What do you think of the guy? I was so wrong. Um, <laughs> I was in, in, in my defense, I said they should have drafted ball. Um, and he looks really good. So that would have been fine, but I think Anthony Edwards is going to be so good. Uh, I was around the team every day with with Wiggins and Zach Levine. Um, and like Edwards is so much better than either of them were as a rookie. Um, Wiggins, you know, Wiggins was always so passive and he still kind of is, but like, and Levine was just so raw um, that maybe that's not a fair comparison because Edwards body is already just so much more developed, Um, but he can shoot. uh, He's so athletic. He gets it. He, he seems like he's having fun. Um, If there is like the lone bright spot of the season, it's been Edwards. And I, you know, I, I don't mean this as a, um, as a down for towns, but I asked the question on, on my podcast the other day, if Edwards had a higher ceiling than towns and that might seem like a crazy thing, but it has not, I'm not trying to like say towns isn't good. I'm saying towns is really good, but if all of a sudden you think Anthony Edwards can match that ceiling as like a top 20, top 15 player, which I think he can, um, 
weren't like the, in case I think he's 19. The wolves are in such a good place. Um, the unfortunate part of all of this is if you look at it through like my lens, because I'm just always negative, I guess. I don't know. I, mean, I think it's just like growing up here. I don't know what it is, but it's like, okay, by the time Edwards is in his prime, when he's um, 23, Russell and Towns probably aren't even on the team. <laughs> like, mm. so, I mean, you're, you're a whole model, but I, I, I think he's going to be really good. And um, to not trade back. And, and, you know, I think people were like, well, if they could get the number five and number eight pick or whatever, uh, and I was like for that, I guess. Um, but yeah, they, he, he looks like the home run pick and I think he's going to be a, a huge star. He definitely has the attitude and the look and plays like a franchise player. Yeah. yeah. Like, totally just feels like a franchise guy. And I was looking at his box scores and stuff and he had a 14 game stretch from January 23rd to February 16th, where he averaged 18 points a game. 43% shooting 38 from three and 83 from the free throw line. Yeah. And on good attempts too, like average, like four and a half, three point attempts uh, per game. I mean, he's shown on pretty solid sample sizes. He's capable of it. Now, yeah. right after that, he he's been very inconsistent, like any mm-hmm. rookie right after that, he had like a four game stretch where he was like 24% from three or something like that. But so he's like any rookie guard. Yeah, he's going to struggle with his shot. But man, when he's on, he's clearly on. So I, I just think he's like you kind of insinuated there. He could be the future there. And I we talked to a couple other people who kind of thought that he was drafted as Carl Anthony Towns insurance. We may have talked to you about this. I drafted did, as yeah. Towns insurance. Yeah. And uh, it just feels like now that might be a realistic possibility. Like you said, that he could just be the guy there and not just be, I, maybe this draft was stronger than people thought. Actually, like there's yeah, there's yeah. a lot of good players. Really yeah. Good yeah. Yeah. No, you're like, that is the point, right? Like it's that every year we do this thing where we look at the draft and we look at the players and, one, it seems like one national pundit says this draft class is weak. And then we all cling on to the idea. And then you look and you go, okay, ball Wiseman, Edwards, um, Halliburton. I mean, a a lot of guys you're like, okay, this is actually a pretty good class. And to, to, if Timberwolves are listening to this, a positive note here is if anybody is going to keep Carl Anthony towns in Minnesota, it's going to be Edwards because if all of a sudden you can get another, um, you know, another near max player when Edwards is still on his rookie contract, you know, to pair with Russell. Um, I think Russell's max contract is problematic anyways, but if you can get another player to fit into that slot and still have Edwards as an, like an all-star level player in two years, like you're in a good spot. The guy's pure comedy too. Like, Oh God. He's Irish. hilarious. What, what did he say on the post game the other day? There was a reporter with an Irish. Oh, yeah. He was like, he was like, he was like, I want to talk like you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying. He, he made him stop. And he's like, where are you from? Where are you from Jim? And he told him and he goes, I thought so. He goes, repeat your question. I was too focused on your accent. And it's like, what? <laughs> oh, God, man. I hilarious. And, uh, Listen, uh, that that dunk has been. Um, oh my goodness! It's been uh, framed and put uh, over the internet, you know, a, a million different times. But it was one of the most beautiful things I've seen in the last like two or three years watching basketball. I just feel bad that the only reason I know, um, for, what's that guy's name? Utah. Oh, Nate. Nate Duncan. No, oh, no, no. oh, I thought you were talking about the tweet. I, well, that too. I didn't really know Nate Duncan before that, but but Yuta, what, Watanabe? Yeah. 
I feel bad. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah. Name I know. Because he got absolutely destroyed by Edwards on that dunk. Was Nate Duncan the one that tweeted about the fact that Edwards that he, is shot? It was like yeah, one yeah. for seven or something yeah. like that. And like, it's just, it's so stupid. Like, <laughs> like, like if, if that's like your gut reaction when you see something like that, like, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. Why yeah. would anyone have that reaction? Gives Giving nerds everywhere like me a bad name. Like the, myself, <laughs> myself as well. Um, but staying with Edwards, uh, and I know, you know, for such a young player to, to talk about like things you can improve in, it's like, well, I mean, he's a rookie, but um, what, what do you see just watching him as kind of like uh, maybe the top two or three things that you, you feel are, are really going to have to improve for maybe him to reach that ceiling that we're talking about? Yeah, I think um, like offensively, his handles are actually a lot better than I expected. Like they Minnesota runs a lot of their sets right through him um, and they'll have Rubio on the court and Edwards will bring the ball up, which is interesting. So his handles are there. I mean, it like it, like you said, it's a rook, like he's a rookie. So it's decision making. Like he had a pass the other night where he just tried to thread it in. Um, and even if he like he would have made the pass the like you know, for the, for, I think it was Jared Vanderbilt, like for him to make the layup would have been nearly impossible anyway. So um, it's little stuff like that. And uh, Jim Peterson on the Timberwolves broadcast the other night brought up that he's going to have to figure out when he makes a shot, he doesn't need to necessarily take the next shot. And I'm like kind of on the fence with that. I agree. Like you don't need to do a heat check, just do a heat check. But I think of all the really good players uh, in the league, and that's what you love about them is that they come back and they just like, they shoot again. And I think that probably exception to that is Russell Westbrook. He shoots way too much, but um, uh, yeah. So like, I mean, for him, it's decision-making and the game will slow down for him. And um, you know, that the shot selection is always going to be huge, but um, no man, like, th- but those are all things that you expect from a rookie. It's not like he came in and you're like, Oh wait, like with Jarrett Culver, when he came in last year, it was like, okay, he's too small and wait, he can't really handle the ball and he can't shoot. And you're like, okay. Oh no, like those aren't, those aren't just rookie things. Those are like, you're maybe not good things. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one thing that just popped into my head that I wanted to ask you about. I probably should have asked you in the beginning of the podcast when we were talking more about Ryan Saunders and, and cat, but there was something that really stuck out to me during the Nick game. And um, did you, did you watch that, that Nick game, the full, the full Yeah. One? Okay. Yeah. So there was a point towards the end of the game. There were two things that really stuck out and cat, he got the ball um, at the corner three and he made this move where he was like fake dribbling through his legs, but he wasn't dribbling the ball on the court. He was just moving the ball, you know, through each leg um, and then ended up just taking a, a fadeaway pull up. And in my mind, like not having watched him all year, right? Like that could be something that he does. And maybe that's just like a move or to me. And, and, and I didn't want to like overly assume, but to me that looked like somebody who was completely checked out. Um, and obviously he could be for a lot of very serious reasons, but um, at the game too, when they were down and it was apparent that they were going to lose the game, just there was a couple players on the court and it just, didn't really look like it mattered. And I mean, seven and 26, don't get me wrong. Listen, when the, the losses start to pile up, I'm sure there's a lot of players that look like that, but that was just something that seemed to very much stick out to me. Is that something that you've seen just that's been a general thing this year or 
maybe it's been of, of recent or what, you know, did you see those things that I'm kind of referencing and did they yeah. stick out to you at all? Yeah. Um, I, I guess I will say I've seen more of it this year than in years past, but I will like, I will say that when it comes to like the body language, um, just by looking at Carl and D'Angelo Russell, if you just look at their careers, Carl has not ever had good body language. Um, it's similar to like Kevin Love earlier in his career, right. where if he didn't get a call, it's the arms are going up and then he's walking back on defense, um, you know, taking a bad shot out of frustration or the frustration foul. So Carl's kind of always been like that. Right. Um, I, I do think though, it is fair to say it's a combination of the two because uh, it, you know, there's a, it must have been a week or two ago. There was a game or probably longer than that, I guess, however long Russell's been out, but Russell and Ryan Saunders were like, Russell missed a defensive assignment. Ryan kind of barked at him and Russell just yelled back at him. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. And it's, you know, in a lot of those things you don't look too much into, but I remember just seeing it being like, eh, that's, that's not good. You know, that seems weird. Um, like they're not even having a discussion about it, but, um, to the point about Carl's shot too, um, I, you know, it like he had a shot on against the, uh, the bulls last night. Um, and it was the last shot to go maybe it's to win the game, um, or to tie the game or whatever, seven seconds left. And, you know, Carl had the ball against Wendell Carter jr. He was killing all night. And he did the same thing that you're talking about. He didn't do the ball through the legs, but he just did three quick pumps you know, and he shot a fadeaway shot yeah. and that was like the shot. And yeah. my buddy texted me and he's like, that's what Finch's call was. And I'm like, I can't imagine that's what his call was. Um, but you know, it's, the, it's what, you know, it is what it is, right. If Carl makes that shot, we're all happy, but it's like the dreaded mid range jumper uh, with 10 seconds left. It was just so crazy to me too. The reason it also stuck out to me is because, and I hate to admit this, you know, I was hoping that that was going to be a much easier game for us than what it ended up being. Right. Yeah. But literally Carl Anthony Towns almost beat us by himself. Like that's how good he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the frustrating part. Like he literally came down the court. We all knew who they were giving the ball to. And in successive possessions, we could not defend him properly. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, wow. I, and I'm sitting on my couch. I'm like, we lose this fucking game. I, I was like, I, I, I can't believe this. You know, luckily we pulled it out, but I mean, yeah. it, just, it just goes to show, I mean, the guy, um, he's incredible. And yeah. the fact that Taj Gibson came in and played just remotely tolerant defense yeah. against yeah. him. Yeah. And that, that was all to, like Nerlens Noel had. Yeah. Taj knows him. Yeah. Nerlens Noel had zero chance, like absolutely no chance, but Taj Gibson knows him and he's a really smart defender. And he just knew what he was doing and he knew what to take away. And Towns didn't adjust. I mean, it was, God, he had that one shot where you hit the side of the backboard. It was like, okay, I guess you, you're just going to do stuff you shouldn't be doing. Thank you. Like yeah. you could be winning that. You could have won this game if you, yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to, but you're taking that shot. He gets like that. I want to flip this back to you guys. How's my boy Tibbs doing? Hey, um, Chip, you go first. I got a beer oh. ready for this, so this is for my <laughs> Tibbs talk. I, I will say the same thing about Tibbs that I've been saying for a while. I think he deserves a ton of credit, but also some criticism. I think the defense being the number one defense in the NBA right now, 
is an amazing achievement. Yeah. And the fact with some of the players they have on the roster, uh, Mitchell Robinson obviously is an amazing defender. Yeah. So he has that there. Uh, I think he's helped Julius Randle turn into a average to above average defender. Uh, Reggie Bullock's a really solid defender, but RJ Barrett, I I think he's underrated and I've, I don't care. I'll die on the Alfred Payton is an overrated defender Hill. So I don't care what anybody says about that. But yeah, I I think the fact that he has this team, given how terrible they were defensively last year as the number one defense is just such a, uh, you have to credit him so much for that. With that said, some of his rotations are maddening at times the way he's like, just so stubborn where he clearly has this idea in his head of what he wants to do at certain times. And he's like, I'm not going to change that. And it's the, the idea of Tibbs where he has his nine or 10 guys. And it's like, these are the guys. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sticking to this rotation. This is what I'm doing. I'm not deviating from the plan. Hey, nine or 10 guys. That's for Tibbs. That's an improvement over five or six guys. I I assume, (laughs) I assume it'll shorten at some point. I mean, we have our starting five is the most, the most used five man lineup in the NBA, which I know you recognize from Minnesota Mm -hmm. when you guys had that same thing. And when you have a team that's below 500, you shouldn't have the most used five man lineup in the NBA, in my opinion. (laughs) So you should be trying different things. And that's the one criticism I have of him. We're not, we're not very good, and he's not trying different things. But other than that, I, I, I think he's done an excellent job, especially on the defense. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I support a lot of what Chip said. I mean, it's, it's interesting too because, like, to look to take a step back from the actual results on the court. Like, I think, I think Tibbs landing in New York, and especially the success that we had early on. It was like a, a, a perfect kind of like um, it was a perfect marriage in the sense that Tibbs's personality is is perfect for this city and kind of like the old school basketball fan like mm-hmm. that that fan that type of fan loves the screen the howler on the sideline the mask falling off oh god wear your mask getting, I'm so getting, fucking sick of that <laughs> getting into his players like. You know, that that type of fan. And I and I put myself in a little bit of that category too. Um, loves loves Tibbs. And I think Tibbs has done a really great job. I just listen, as as a longtime suffering Nick fan, we're going to even if we're still mediocre, the fact that we look like a professional basketball team, the fact that it looks like players care, the mm-hmm. fact that it looks like players try hard, it it, it means a lot to us. But the one thing I do have to say now that we've tasted like a little bit of success and everything Chip pointed out from a negative end is 100% accurate. But the one thing I do have to say now that like, you know, we're, we're getting into the second half of the season and who knows where um, after this season, because again, the Timberwolves made the playoffs the first year he was there, right? Yeah. So what I'm also thinking of is I, this whole year, and we've asked some beat writers and we've asked some guys that, that know the Knicks well, is what, what interests me most is the system of checks and balances for Tibbs within the organization. Because Leon Rose knows him for a long time. He put analytics guys within the organization. He put player development guys around him. And what I want to know is when Tibbs is being Tibbs, 
who checks him and says, you're not, you're not playing this young guy enough. You're not looking at these, these shot charts and where we're getting our, our shots. You're not looking at this. You're not looking at that. And that's kind of what I want to know because I can see, I can see a world and I don't want this world, but I can see a world where we have success for one year and then people get tired of the Tibbs act and people get tired or, or it just gets overwhelming. It just gets too much. Now for right now, it looks like we have the, the guys on the roster who deal well with that. Julius Randle loves Tibbs, loves the way he, and has credited him for being on top of him. But I do wonder if there's kind of a, a ceiling for Tibbs as well, unless he really, really embraces change. I don't know that this year has really given us evidence that he, he embraces a lot of change thus far. Let's give Kenny Payne and Mike Woodson some credit too, because Absolutely. this whole thing would look a lot different without those guys there. I think. Agreed. Very much agreed. Yeah. I think Tibbs. So my Tibbs take is I was a huge, I like Tibbs in Minnesota. Um, so two things, if, if he went to become the president of basketball operations and just the head coach, and if Jimmy Butler wasn't part of the equation, because do you know who would love Tibbs and like, I'm I, I'll swear he, he would fucking love Tibbs is Zach Levine. Zach Levine is the type of guy that would love Tibbs. Like, hey, Zach, Zach I'm going to scream at you when you miss a rotation. Um, and, and he, I mean, he, like, we want you to play 45 minutes a game. Sweet. Um, like that's a guy where if that trade doesn't happen, or if you decide to trade Andrew Wiggins instead, um, like you're in a such, I mean, the Timberwolves are, were in such a weird place when they got Tibbs because they also hired a brand new CEO on the business side and the business side CEO was so much about culture and wanting everybody to like be together. And Tibbs was not about that. Tibbs did not want any, <laughs> I mean, he did not want anything to do. Yeah. Right. Um, he didn't want anything to do with that. And then, and then you make the move, right. And then you go to Gerson and to Ryan Saunders and it's all about family family, family. Well, where are we now? We went too far family. So we're trying to go back to like this ruthless, you know, this is how we do business. And it's like, it's kind of exhausting. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing with Tibbs. If once you get past the first year, if somebody is holding him, you know, if in my mind, if, if Tibbs can just have fun and not worry about power or like controlling things, um, he'd be fine, but it's one of those things where I don't even know if he knows that he's doing it. Like yeah. if that makes sense, like, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they did say, uh, well, Derek Rose did say that, uh, he said tips is smiling more than, than he's ever seen him smile. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's something, but, uh, yeah, I think just as fans, like, and we've had like, there's been like wars on Nick's Twitter in terms of like, you can't criticize Tibbs. We're 15 and 17 and we've never seen this type of success before. And then, you know, there's the other side that's like, well, yeah, but like Alfred Payton is playing like, you know, 30 minutes a night or, or whatever. And yeah, um, it's not the case anymore, but Julius Randle and RJ Barrett were top three in minutes per game um, for a good part of the season. Um, you know, so, and you know, our top draft pick Obi Toppin is playing 12 minutes a night. And I'll be honest, I'm not mad at that because he doesn't seem like he can handle a lot yet. Yeah. And um, we did have a conversation. We had another guy who's really great and covers the Orlando Magic, Stephen Cameron. And he said that Tibbs is very much 
because they were all in the same coaching staff with Steve Clifford uh, when, they, when, when they were with Van Gundy. And Clifford's kind of philosophy for player development is like, I'm going to give you a little bit of responsibility. And then when you prove you can handle that, I'll give you something else. So I think mm -hmm. he's very much kind of limited it, Obi, in terms of this is what you're responsible for. When you do that really, really well, we'll give you something else. And I'm not, I'm not really against that right now because he very much looks like a, a fish out of water um, a lot of times on the court, but, but we'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, like to be sitting in whatever we are, I think the, the seventh or eighth spot uh, in the East right now um, is a huge, huge improvement from where I thought we would be at this point. And I've actually been impressed with some of the player development um, with Tibbs. So I think we'll, we'll take that, you know, for now. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. If, yeah. if you're complaining about Fright Nielakina or Kevin Knox's minutes, I don't want to talk to you. Right? <laughs> Just leave that, leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, I, you know, as, as we're looking forward to the draft, I, I, so that, that pick that has gone to the Warriors, it, that's top three or top five? Top three. Top three protected. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, very interesting how the rest of the season plays out. Do you think that Gerson will um, intentionally, unintentionally, intentionally kind of look to improve their, their draft chances with that in mind, knowing that that pick is, is going to the Warriors unless it's top three? Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to matter if he wants to or doesn't want to. I think the team is so bad that wow. – uh, you know, Russell's out for another five weeks and then Beasley just got handed a 12 game suspension, um, which means he's going to be out for the, I don't know if it's, it's effective immediately, but he'll be out for the next three or two or three games before the break. And then, um, you know, when their schedule resumes again, he's out for like, I mean, that's significant. Um, like he's been really good. And I think I said on your podcast that the wolves shouldn't have signed him to the deal that they did. Um, well, who's got egg on their face? Cause he's been really good. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, the, the, the thing is though, like, even if you're in the top three, there's still a what 60 or like 59% chance that you don't get a top three pick. Right. Um, like in, in my mind, it's what do the wolves deserve and what do they, uh, what do the wolves deserve to lose their pick in my mind, because they, their thing was we're going to be so good that our pick is going to be the number 15 pick who cares. And they turn around and a lot of stuff they can't control, right? Like you can't control, uh, you know, COVID and, and Carl's uh, wrist injury at the beginning of the year. But like, I will say that it is concerning. And you look throughout D'Angelo Russell's history, like those, those, you guys have watched basketball long enough. Like you see those weird injuries, like the weird quad injury, and then it's the thigh injury and then it's a calf injury. And then he got his knee cleaned out. Um, those are weird injuries. And they like, they always seem to happen to the same guys. And um, I don't know. I, I just worry about Russell's long-term health. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I don't know if it's going to matter if, if Gerson wants to tank or not. I think the team is in a tough spot. But let's talk about that going forward that, now they have two major players missing going forward and yeah. Beasley and Russell. What do you think happens now in the wake of that? Cause they're despite, you know, there's a lot of criticism of Russell. I, I think I saw they're one and eight since he got hurt. Uh, so they obviously they haven't been great all year, but they're really struggling without him and Rubio yeah. moving into the starting lineup 
there. I, I, I mean, who do you think moves into the starting lineup and where do you think they go to get more scoring? Cause like you said, he's been a 20 point per game player. Yeah. He's been really good. Yeah. Let's okay. Let's break down what we like, what we found out so far and what, like what we're going to see. So what we found out so far, Ricky Rubio is not the savior. Um, we knew that back when he was drafted initially from the wolves, but we, I think everybody thought he was going to come and play and that he was going to be this really, really um, the spark plug off the bench. And then um, Ryan started playing him in weird spots and started playing him with like, the shooting guard, which didn't make sense. Um, and then even in a traditional way though, you say, okay, maybe there's a reason why teams like Utah and Phoenix and um, all these other teams were just so willing to just let Rubio go. And we're kind of seeing it. And I, I like Ricky. I think he's a great guy, but maybe he's not that good. Um, so now that Beasley's gone, who are we going to see? Okay. So probably more Josh Kogi and Jarrett Culver. Um, I mean, it's kind of Jarrett Culver. I don't, I hate to say it's like, well, it's your last tryout or whatever. Um, because he's what, 21 years old. Like how dumb is that? We, how many guys have we seen that have blossomed when they're five or six years in the league? But I do think if you're the Timberwolves, you probably look at this saying, um, you know, maybe a move off of him after this year because he's going to get a, you know, a month or two tryout to play 25, 30 minutes a game. Um, and you're going to find out pretty quickly if he's going to be a guy that, because I think, you know, a lot of these guys, they'll say, well, this player didn't peak until they were in their seventh year or whatever. Well, it's like, well, yeah, sure. But then the team that they dra- that, that drafted them, they still have to make a decision on a second contract. Um, so it's not the team's fault if they got rid of them. So, um, you know, and, and then Josh Kogi and like a one of those guys where his defense was so far ahead of his offense um, as a rookie. And I think people got so excited about the defender he could be and his defense has kind of stayed right there, but his offense hasn't moved. And um, that's, you know, that's the problem. And now you look at the team and you go, okay, yeah, who is going to score? Um, you know, I think you look at Anthony Edwards and you're going to like, everything's going to kind of go through him and Carl now, um, which is, I think is good. I think it's good. Even in losing basketball, if you have to go through your rookie and he's going to learn fast. Um, but yeah, you look at the rest of the roster and you're just like, who's, who's next? Um, like Jake Layman's going to play more. I don't know. Like what I, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a tough spot to be in, but yeah, I mean, you're just going to see more Carl and, and, and more of, um, more of, uh, Edwards. Do you think Edwards can run any pick and roll at all right now? Or is he mostly just an isolation guy, spot up shooter? Yeah. So, um, he, he can't really run the pick and roll, but he can run the pick and step back. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that's his move right now is, um, you know, Carl will uh, set a screen up top and Edwards will use that screen and he'll kind of, nobody can see me right now besides you guys, but he'll kind of, uh, you know, go lean in and then hop back behind the three-point line and use Carl or the screener, um, you know, kind of as his protection. So, and he's actually pretty good at that, that, that step back shot. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think he's a good enough passer inside yet. Um, he reminds me of like, I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Jeff Teague, but when Jeff Teague was in Minnesota, the big, I mean, yeah, I mean, good. The answer, if you haven't watched a lot of Jeff Teague, good for you. Yeah. Like you win um, him trying to throw entry passes, like the most painful thing ever. Um, and that's what I like. Edwards is kind of there too, where I think that, um, you know, he needs to get some of that passing down. 
So that's why they need Ricky in the starting lineup then for now. Yeah. 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 I think so. But I mean, but the thing is like, it's so hard because Edwards will bring the ball up and then they'll, they'll run the pick and roll, but you almost, it's basically just to get Edwards a shot. Mm -hmm. And then if, they don't, if Edwards can't get the shot, it goes to Ricky and then they'll run the pick and roll and, you know, worst case scenario, Ricky has to shoot. Um, and then, you know, if not, you pass to somebody else. And, and that's where like the problem with Rubio has been throughout his whole career is if he could just get a consistent shot with either at the rim or away from the basket, but he doesn't have either when he gets inside, he's so, I mean, he gets so weak and he shies away from contact and then you can't, I mean, so there's like, if you're a defense, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm just not going to guard you. Like no matter what you do, then at the last second, we'll have a big come in and you'll miss your layup. And well, it's held true for like seven years now. Ricky Rubio is in the hall of fame for guys who, if he could shoot, look, yes. guess how good he would be. He is in the hall of fame. <laughs> I was wrong about him too. I mean, I, when we had Kyle on the podcast last time, my whole thing was this whole uh, rotation of guards between Russell, Edwards, Beasley, and Rubio. And I was like, how are they going to develop Edwards? You know, like, how are they going to fit? I, I, in my mind, I was actually thinking Rubio was going to start at some point. Yeah. I may rub Russell the wrong way or Edwards the wrong way, um, but here we are. And, um, you know, Rubio has been obviously struggling a lot. Um, yeah, but it made sense to bring him in. He oh, gets along with everybody and Towns loves, loves him. him. Yeah. And the thing the thing with Ricky is if he's on a team like um it, let's say he's a backup point guard for the Suns right now, or if he's coming off the bench for a team like I mean, like the Lakers, like playing that like Rondo role that you know, or like playing on a really good team. I mean, we'd watch Ricky Rubio in the playoffs, like we watch some of these guys every year. And, you know, you'd hear Mike Breen's voice and he'd be like, oh, my God, what is Ricky Rubio? What a steal for this team. You know, you can you believe that they signed him for the minimum, whatever, you know, and then we're all like, oh, my God, Ricky's so good because he's got good talent around him. Yeah. And it's like, I think it's easy to be like, well, Ricky's not very good. But then you look at the rest of the team and you're like, oh, yeah, we're playing Jared Vanderbilt 30 minutes a game. Like. Maybe just the team's not good. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Chip, do you have anything else for Kyle before uh, we let him go? I think I forgot to ask you this, Kyle, last time. I want to ask you about KG because mm -hmm. I saw he had uh, a book coming out, but I wanted to ask you about that, what you thought of the book maybe, and also his uh, a feud with the T-Wolves and ownership, uh, your thoughts on that, and I guess – Maybe he doesn't want to have his number retired even. So what you think of what's going on with KG there and the ownership situation there? Yeah. You guys probably know this story. You, you guys know like the, the KG Glenn flip kind of like the Bermuda triangle of ownership. So um, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So basically when flip came back to the organization, uh, when he signed his president of basketball operations title, Glenn gave him an, a piece of ownership in the team. And Flip said that he worked out a deal with KG saying, KG, I want you to be part of the ownership group with me. Um, I want you to, you know, to have some of this or whatever. And it was an ongoing conversation. And unfortunately, Flip passed. And I think KG was still very interested in becoming part of the ownership group. And he went to Glenn and said, Hey man, like, 
I, you know, this is a deal we had and, you know, throughout the years, Flip was the only thing still holding Glenn and KG together. They did not get along. And Glenn basically said, that's not my deal. That was your guys's deal. Sorry. And I think KG felt very, very hurt as I think he should have. Um, Glenn Taylor's a multi-billionaire, like, you know, whatever, like it's, you know, you can tell he totally did it out of spite, right? He's selling, like he sold, uh, you know, 5% of his team to, uh, uh, you know, uh, mayor Orbach who's, who's from New York, um, who, you know, you know, like no ties to Minnesota at all. And he's sold a few percents to, you know, to, to a business guy in China. And then it turned out that that didn't work out. So like, it was clearly just like a grudge thing. And he didn't want KG part of it. So KG basically just said, you know, F you, man, like whatever. And then, you know, the wolves are, you know, I think it was right when like Allen Iverson got his number retired. Everybody was like, wait, or no, no, no. It was um, when the Nets retired KG's jersey. And uh, everybody was like, was it the Nets? I think I think the Nets retired his jersey. I'm almost positive. Um, But if not, it was when the Celtics did. Uh, Everybody started freaking out about how like, wait, these two teams retired their jerseys, KG's jersey before the Wolves did. So then the Wolves did this whole like, no, 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 we've been trying and KG doesn't want to. And I think that's probably true. I don't think KG does want to. Um, I think he's like, when Glenn dies, um, I'll, I'll come back and, you know, we'll see. Um, I, but ironically, KG's business people are running his book ads constantly during Timberwolves games. So he knows, he knows his audience. He doesn't want to be associated with the Timberwolves, but if you buy his book, he will appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, That's KG funny. is always uh, he's never shy for a great quote or a bust uh, every one at least. Um, but listen, Kyle, thank you so much for giving us some time tonight. Uh, you're the man uh, for everybody out there. Please follow Kyle on Twitter and read all of his good stuff at Zone Coverage. Once again, just a um, pleasure to have you on as always. And I always enjoy talking Timberwolves basketball with you. No, it's been great. Um, appreciate it, guys. Lately, all my tweets are about NBA Top Shot. So, like, don't just, like, don't let that scare you away. I'm sure I'll lose all my money on it and whatever, and I won't tweet about it again. But, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure being with you guys. Awesome, man. And for everybody out there, we hope you guys are staying safe, and we will talk to you soon.